1: And a pleasant good afternoon to everyone out there in Irish Breakdown Land. I am Vince D'Addario. That is Ryan Roberts. I am not Brian Driscoll, so I apologize, everyone. Uh, but he has a prior commitment that came up kind of at the last second, so I'm filling in. I'm pinch-hitting for Brian Driscoll. Uh, the topic doesn't change, though. We are still going to talk about the Notre Dame defense and the questions and the that have to be answered, etc. We're going to have some fun with that. But first... Some recruiting news uh, for Notre Dame that Ryan Roberts can't really even talk about, which is shocking and on a lot of levels. But it has nothing to do with uh, football. It has to do with baseball. And a local product, um, Jace Lee, has committed to the University of Notre Dame for baseball. He is a rising junior, so he's the class of twenty-four. And uh, let me just tell you, he's a local kid. He went. He goes to Saint Joe High School. He is a st- stud this kid this is a great get for notre dame they got in on him early obviously he's got two years of high school left this kid is a stud he's a leadoff hitter center fielder kid hits for power he uh he's fast as lightning obviously i've played not played i've coached against him um i mean he's a one-man wrecking machine uh they won the sectional championship on a walk-off home run that he hit um i mean the kid is just a stud he is really 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 good so huge pickup uh, for Coach Stifler and the Notre Dame baseball team. I think it's their first commitment since he walked in the door, so that's exciting. And he's a local kid too, so that's ex- 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 exciting as well. So Bryce Lee going to Notre Dame, so that's that's pretty cool.
2: Is, is that a little early for baseball players usually, Vince? You know,
1: family? I haven't really – to be honest with you, I haven't really followed a whole lot of baseball. Sometimes uh kids will uh, – commit early. I mean, they can't obviously get the official, you know, offer and all that fun stuff, but there was another kid, uh, the Lynch kid, uh, from Penn, he was a baseball player. He -hmm. committed really early as well. And he was the starting quarterback on the football team his sophomore year and stopped playing football after sophomore year because he committed to Notre Dame. So yeah, I I don't know if that's just a local thing. Um, but you know, it's kind of similar to, uh, uh, the kid that uh, committed from Penn for basketball the other day—he that's where he wanted to go. Notre Dame was where he wanted to go. He got the offer and he committed. And you know, you shut it down and you go when you know you know. I guess so. Uh, local kids want to go to Notre Dame. They get that offer and they're they're gone. So good for him.
2: Yeah, no, I mean that's awesome. So you say he's a center fielder, power hitter. Right? Yeah,
1: he Do, he, hits, th- he was hitting three. He hit lead off, but he also hit three, four. You know, I mean, and and he's just a big, he's a big kid for a sophomore. He's definitely over six foot tall. I mean, he's put together very, very well. I mean, it, the kid, kid's a good player, very good player. So,
2: you you think uh, I'm I'm making you put your analyst hat on, on for a second here? You think uh, projection wise, you think he's a center fielder on the next level? He's a corner outfielder. What, what do you kind of see with him from that sense? So,
1: corner outfielder, I think more like pow, just like straight power, not super athletic, kind of similar like a first baseman, you know, that kind of a thing. He, the kid's an athlete. He can cover a lot of ground in center field. Um, I, I think that, I think that's a good fit for him, and I think he's only going to get better over the next two years of high school. He's playing high-level travel ball, obviously. Uh, like I said, he hits for power now. Uh, mm-hmm. I, was telling, I was telling Ryan in, in uh, our little pregame here, didn't get a hit off of us, uh, but he hit a freaking moonshot down the left field line that was fouled by about five feet. That's probably still climbing uh, as we speak, but uh, the kid has a ton of power, but he's a, he is super athletic, still stills bases, you know, that kind of a thing. So I think, I think he projects as a center fielder to be honest with you. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah.
2: Well, I, I love that we kind of start the show off this way because obviously <laughs> we talk football every day, but I mean, Notre Dame baseball just coming off a great season. Notre Dame hockey is is a great program. Obviously the women's and men's basketball team are really good as well. So Notre Dame has exciting times just from a pure sports spectrum, not just football. So I'm happy to see that baseball got a huge pickup. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Huge, huge. That's a, like I said, it's a big pickup for Notre Dame uh, in their new staff, et cetera, with coach Stifler coming in here. I would say, You know, I don't even know how they even rank baseball players, you know, as far as like stars and all that stuff. All I know is what what I saw with my own two eyes the kid is an athletic power hitter who can move around in the outfield. So that's a huge pickup. I think that's a big pickup for Notre Dame.
2: Do you think, and I know I'm asking you to project two years forward from a high school sophomore, which is a little tough, but (laughs) is he a kid that you think gets drafted coming right out of high school or is a kid who's trying to like, yeah, no.
1: That's a really good question because there have been kids that have been drafted from around here in the past, but it's very few and far between. Um this kid was one of the best players in the area as a sophomore. So I would say that there's a good chance and the major league draft is like what 40 round. I mean it's a it's, it's deep. Long. It's yeah. long <laughs> and it's deep, right? I would think he would have a shot, absolutely. And now that his profile is one where he's already committed to an ACC school, I think that raises his profile a little bit too. Uh, So I think there's going to be more eyes on him moving forward for for good reason. But, um, yeah, I think he definitely could be drafted uh, after his senior year. No question. The kid's good. The kid's really good.
2: It's awesome. Yeah, I know they always have, like, so many players picked. I'm just like – I you know, lost
1: count after the first 17 rounds or whatever <laughs> I know, right? It's, Seriously. Like, right, cool. It's so many. And, and they have, I guess they have less spots to fill now that they've kind of shrunk down the minor leagues a little bit over the last couple of years, but you figure all these teams that they have to fill, you got like multiple rookie teams and low A and high A and double A and triple A. There's a lot of spots to fill. So it's almost, you almost need to have that big of a draft. You know what I mean? But, for sure. Uh, they, they've definitely narrowed that down a little bit. And, uh, but no, I think this kid definitely has a possibility of being drafted in two years, considering his projection, obviously. Sure. And if he keeps going in that direction, I think there's a good chance.
2: Yeah. Exponential growth. I mean, it's pretty Absolutely. cool. I mean, to be able to see that type of player kind of firsthand from your perspective, I think that's really, really cool. I mean, I remember. Yeah. I coached against like, you know, I only coached football in tracks when I, you know, here in New Jersey. And I remember I coached against uh, Jonathan Taylor when he was a senior at uh, Salem. Okay. And he was, <laughs> he was playing group of one football and that's the lowest group in New Jersey. And it was okay. just, it was Men and a boys. man, man yeah. playing with children. <laughs> yeah. you know it was, man. Like it was nuts. It was absolutely <laughs> insane. And then he went to the track and then he went to track and he ran like 10, four something, hundred meters at 210 pounds. So yeah, you know, you know, every time you go to see one of those types of kids, you're like, Jesus, man, not made, not made on the same planet as I was, I don't think, but man. yeah.
1: Unbelievable. So we, uh, so that's the kind of recruiting news that that we'll jump on. It was kind of fun because usually Ryan is the, the guru of recruiting. So it was kind of fun to talk about a guy he doesn't really know much about. So that was a lot of fun. Um, and, and again, a big pickup, uh for uh for Stifler So <laughs> I just got a text from Brian. He goes, "What the heck are you guys talking about?" So <laughs> That's awesome. It's a, it's a
2: Notre Dame podcast. It's a Brian. Notre Dame <laughs>
1: exactly. This is big news, right? So anyway, we will uh we will shift to the topic at hand. We will have a mailbag everybody. Um and so once we get through uh, our topic talking about the defense, get your questions in. As we see them, we'll star them, we'll come back to them, we'll talk about them at the end, so we will have our po- our, our mailbag at the end. Uh, but we are going to talk some defense right now.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: Questions that Notre Dame must answer on defense, unknowns, what improvements do they need to make, etc. There's actually for a side of the football that has been the strength of this Notre Dame team for, I mean, let's call it the last decade, right? It's been the defensive side of the ball. There's a lot of question marks going into this year, some position battles, some bigger things to talk about. But there's still some questions on the defensive side.
2: There is. And I think it, it it's an interesting one because there's also a lot to be really excited about, obviously, right? Like I think questions aren't always a, a negative, right? Like there's a connotation over like question marks, but sometimes question marks are good. I mean, last year, how good Cam Hart was going to be was a little bit of a question mark, right? And then he ends up being, you know, the best yeah. corner on the team by a landslide, right? So I think there's a lot of interesting headlines to take a look at this, this fall, especially coming out of the spring and if you missed our show yesterday, you should go take a look at because me and Brian spent three hours just kind of talking about what there is to be excited about yeah. from the defensive side of the football. You know, the positives, the biggest takeaways that should have Notre Dame fans in a really positive mindset. So these this is kind of the adverse adverse kind of mind, um, scope here today, right? Like we're going to take a look at things that could be the don't want to call it a hindrance, don't want to call it a crutch, but like some things that need to be kind of figured out absolutely fall. So it's a really talented team, but anytime you're going from a into a fall, you know, fall semester into the fall camp and everything, there's gonna be some questions you have to answer. It doesn't have to be yeah. a negative, it's just this is the important things that Notre Dame needs to
1: answer entering the camp. Absolutely. So let's let's start with the biggest kind of overall question about the defense and that's of course the fact that they have a brand new defensive coordinator right al golden comes in third defensive coordinator in three years obviously not for the normal reasons that you change out defensive coordinators considering the second one is still on the staff as now the head coach but you still have the third defensive coordinator in as many years so how quickly can al golden and the staff and the players you know all get on the same page i think that that is a legitimate question about this team and i think it's a legitimate question about all brand new defensive coordinators i mean look al golden's walking into an amazing situation it's not a complete rebuild it's not a situation where he is looking to be the savior of the defense kind of like ohio state situation it's a completely different situation he's walking into a defensive room that marcus freeman had going in the right direction i mean they, mm-hmm. they were a really good defensive team overall but what does it look like under al golden and how long is that going to take for them to look like a championship level defense if they get to that point at all
2: it's a great point i mean especially when you're comparing to ohio state which is the first game right like to to your to your point there vince Jim Knowles is coming in and they're kind of like, you need to save this buddy. Like this is not good right now. And it hasn't been for a couple of years. You need to flip the script here and get everything going. Al Golden's responsibility is, Hey, Marcus Freeman last year in his first year had a lot of good signs on the defensive side of the football. There's a lot of positives to take from the 2021 season. We want you to take that, keep the philosophy the same, add your touch And take it to the next level. Like that's what Al Golden is brought here to do. Now, the biggest question mark for me is, and I've been very vocal about this. I like Al Golden a lot. I remember, I mean, my first memories of him. I don't remember him when he was a defensive coordinator at Virginia. I know Brian talks about that a ton because obviously he has the Virginia ties. Sure. But I remember Al Golden most when he was taking over an absolutely putrid program at Temple. Yeah, like Temple was a bad program, Vince. It was so bad. And he started such a good kind of momentum shift in Temple that they were getting guys like Jeff Collins and uh, what was the guy that was just at Boston College a couple years ago that was at Colorado State last year. His name is escaping me. Italian guy. Sorry. Yeah, it'll come back to me in a minute. But so he had a string of some really good coaches at Temple. And it started without gold because Temple was just, I mean, my biggest recollection was my, my first game that I ever went to was a Temple game. playing in the Vets at the time, which the Eagles used to play. And they played against Michael Vick at Virginia Tech, and they got absolutely slaughtered. It was actually kind of close at halftime, and then Virginia Tech was like, nah. And that was (laughs) was like when Temple was winning like one game a year, two games a year, maybe three in a good year. Like they were a bad program. Al Golden came in, and he completely flipped that in a couple years, and they were a very competitive team. And then Al goes to – Miami, you know, goes to University of uh, Miami, Florida, the Hurricanes. And he doesn't – I thought he did a pretty good job, right? Like, it, it. he was dealing with some sanctions during his time. Right, and there right. were a lot of, like, negative things that were kind of going against Al Golden's momentum there. But I thought he had some good signs of points. And then, obviously, most recently, he's with the Cincinnati Bengals. And he helped these linebackers, Jermaine Pratt and Logan Wilson specifically, turn into good football players and, and a really quick. So he's had the head coaching experience. He's had the NFL experience and he's been a defensive coordinator. The problem is and I, and I wish Brian was on. Cause I mean, I know he's in the chat, maybe he'll pop it in here, but 2004, I think was the last time he was a defensive coordinator in any capacity. Right. So like, it has been a long time, man. So like, that's my biggest question outside of just Al golden, putting in his own spin on it and taking it, you know, and, and, kind of manufacturing it the way he wants because it's not broken right like it's working it's just now about taking it to the next level so I'm looking at Al Golden and I am very positive about this move and I'm very anxious to just kind of see his spin on the defense because I like what Marcus Freeman was doing last year in his first year the unsettlement is he hasn't been asked to do this particular role in like almost 20 years right that's the fact of it can he do it Everything I've heard of, I mean, he's a really smart defensive mind. He's a really smart football guy in general. Right. I have no doubt that he's going to do it. But until we tangibly see it on the fields, it is a major question mark. There's no doubt about it.
1: It has to be. I mean, he's he's brand new to the system. He hasn't been a coach at Notre Dame. So there's that aspect of it, right? It's, it's Notre Dame. It's a little bit different, right? And then also, you're not the head man. Now, he he wasn't the head man with the Bengals he was just the linebackers coach so I mean he knows what it's like to be a subordinate you know coming off of being a head coach so that part I don't worry about I look at his history as a head coach as nothing but beneficial to Marcus Freeman I think that that is actually awesome and Brian just chimed in at 2005 was the last time that Al Golden was the defensive coordinator so you weren't far off um so it's been a long time and you know coordinating a defense setting up a practice schedule you know doing all of those different things that's it's different than being a a linebackers coach right and it's different than being the head coach as well so a lot of things have changed since 2005 okay and so putting together a practice schedule doing all of those different things that's a legitimate question mark right sure do they have the same philosophy? I think they do. I think that's one of the reasons that Marcus Freeman brought in Al Golden, right? I think they have a very similar defensive philosophy. Now the nuts and bolts, the X's and O's I think are going to be a little bit different. So there, there's going to be a, le, you know, a learning curve to a degree sure. uh, you know, how he uses the linebackers for example, because he is also the linebacker coach, you know, how he uses stunts and blitzes and, you know, he's going to be more four down as we saw, but, you know, what was the major topic of conversation during the season last year? Why do they keep going to the three down? You know, all of that. So you're not going to see as much three down. You're going to see more four down. You're going to see some different X's and O's type stuff. But I think the philosophy is the same. So how long is that going to take to mesh up with the players, right? Coming off of right. what Marcus was doing, etc. cetera. So I think that's a legit question. And I don't think we have the answer to that. I mean, you have a month of training camp but we're not going to get an answer to that. I'm not even going to say we get an answer to that during Ohio state. I think it's going to be a few games in before the defense is hundred percent comfortable with sure. everything that they're doing. And I don't think that that's a problem. Like, I don't, I don't see that as a bad thing. I, I think that's normal, frankly.
2: And I would say the biggest thing that I took away Vince, honestly, and it's a great word to use is the philosophy, right? Like I'm right. not overly worried about, Four man, three man. Like I'm not worried about the three, four, four, three conversation because at the end of the right. day, you're so much sub package now, man. Like I, I care about if you're playing three man, a ton or versus four man. Sure. Right. But with the multi multiplicity, is that a word? Ooh, I like I that. Multiplicity. We'll say it's a word, if it's not. It is now with, with how much this team wants to use different fronts. I'm not worried about the switching between four man and three man. Both of them have their strengths. Both of them have their weaknesses. It's about the functional ability to use it at the right times, right? What blitz packages am I using? What coverage shells am I working out of? Am I rotating a ton pre, post, snap? What are what coverages are the ones that I trust the most? Those things, dialing them up at the right time is what I worry most about. And he's had a ton of experience. And I honestly think that it's a great sign. Marcus Freeman was just the defense coordinator of this team. Right. For a lot of people making that transition, I feel like they would have a little bit of the issue with kind of giving people their, their authority over the defense. Right. But clearly in my opinion, the fact that that Marcus Freeman went for an older defensive coordinator, a guy that's been there, done that, been all around at multiple levels in multiple positions tells me that he is like, you have this, right? Like I have the, we have what we thought was a good baseline for it, kind of a good structure. Right Now you can build upon it, right? Like you're building now the house after we laid down the platform for it. So that's what I think is showing the trust there for a first year head coach, a guy that was just a defensive coordinator shows that Al Golden, I think, was the right guy for the job. And we'll see if it works out. But I really do think that it shows that there's a lot of trust that he has in Al Golden. So I'm excited to see it. And I'm also excited just about this, and I know we're, we're talking about this as obviously a big question mark, and it is, and it will remain a question mark until we tangibly see it on the field. Right. But the fact that you have a good mix of new coaches, coaches that were already on the staff, and yeah. you, uh, and Chris O'Leary, Mike Mickens obviously returning. You have Al Washington, who is with Ohio State, who's got a big reputation as a recruiter and mm-hmm. as a developer of talent. But you also have Marcus Freeman to lean on if you're having any issues. Right. right. Like he's been there. He is running this defense. He has done he done the role literally last year. And another huge thing that I don't think we've talked about enough is the fact that although he hasn't been a coach at, to this point, having a guy like James Laurinaitis as your grad assistant, yeah, I know, right? coaching up these linebackers, because like it's going to be a lot on your plate if you're out Golden, right? It's going to be like, oh, yep. I have to be a position coach, but yet I'm calling a defense. I'm working on game planning. I'm working on practice schedule. There's a lot on your plate. Having a guy like that that has also been there, yep. done that, and done that at an extremely high level, right, is huge because I think there's going to be times where Al's like, "All right, you got you take this or whatever. I'm going to oversee the secondary, for instance. I'm going right. to go oversee the defensive line, make sure that everything structurally is working the way I want it. So I'm very optimistic, mm-hmm. but again, we have to see it until we see it because. It, Coach Golden, Coach Golden has not been a defense coordinator in 17 years. That right. is the fact of this.
1: That's a fact. 100%. But
2: his, but his resume and the experience and the reputation he brings, there's no reason for me to think that he can't do it. It's just we haven't actually seen it yet.
1: Right. Absolutely correct. And I I am also very optimistic as to what this defense is going to do. And I, and I do want to touch on the fact that I think it is very – the foresight of Marcus Freeman to bring in somebody who – is going to take the defense and make it their own. It's not going to be the Marcus Freeman defense and I want you to run it. Like that is not what he wanted at all. He wanted a guy who was going to come in. And yes, you want somebody to have a shared philosophy as you. Of course you want that. But he's not coming in to run Marcus Freeman's defense. He's going to come in and run Al Golden's defense under the same philosophy. And I think that shows a, a leadership from Marcus Freeman. Because if it was a different scenario, let let's say – you know, he made somebody the defensive coordinator and I want, here's my playbook. This is what I want. I need you to run this. It's different because now Marcus Freeman's going to be paying more attention to the defense. You know, he's going to be on the defensive side more. He's not going to be able to be the head coach. So I give him a lot of credit as a first time head coach to have the foresight to see that that's probably a good idea when he was going out and hiring a defensive coordinator. And that's why it took longer than it, then fans wanted it to, right? They wanted somebody in sure. and they wanted it done and et cetera, et cetera. And he waited for the right guy. And I think that it made a lot of sense. And I think it makes sense moving forward. And, and I'm very optimistic that this defense is going to take that next step, be very good. I don't know what it's going to look like out the shoot. I mean, we none of us do. And Marcus Freeman's defense certainly wasn't a finished product in game one. I mean, no. at all, right? And if there's some faults, you know, on the defense in game one, are we going to talk about it? Absolutely. But it's not a situation where I'm freaking out that the season is a loss already. You know what I mean? So it's going to take a little bit of time. I would imagine. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe things all look great in game one. and That would be great. Uh, But I don't think we can realistically say that's what we expect to happen.
2: Yeah, you. I mean, you can't rush to judgment. There's a transition right. period that's going to happen, and even this. I mean, honestly, Vince, like, I felt Marcus Freeman was a really good defensive coordinator. Sure, and I've seen a lot of good defensive coordinators. Where it's th- this is what gets lost a lot in the analytics versus film conversation. Right. It's a game of of people, right? So there's de- defensive coordinators make mistakes just like players make mistakes, just like everybody in the world makes mistakes. But I also think that having an outside perspective, a guy like an Al Golden coming in. Who didn't have any ties to notre dame but now evaluates the team what it was last year defensively and says i really like what marcus did here but i also don't like what he did here and that's kind of the growth that happens i think right. from having that type of outside perspective to begin and to understand what the weaknesses were understand what the strengths were sure. again very optimistic but you can't feel great about it yet because it's a new voice Right, And then the whole question mark of, and I already said that I think that it's going to be fine. I think that Al, I think that Al golden has the trust of Marcus Freeman clearly, but is there some pushback at some point where if the season does get off to not a great start, let's say they look flat against Ohio state. They're going into the second game. it still kind of looks a little bit lackadaisical. Does Marcus Freeman kind of push back and say like, Hey, we need to do this now. Right? Right. Like I, I need to take a little bit more control than I'm taking now. That's where like the butting of the heads can start. I don't anticipate that happening, but we can't discount it because again, your, your head coach was one of the hottest names at defensive coordinator just last year. Right. right. So it's, yeah, there's right. going to be some coaches are proud people. Like, honestly, like, I mean, you're you, as a coach, you think that you know what you're talking That's about.
1: They're cocky. Yeah. They're darn right cocky sure. in a good way, but they're, you know, they feel like they know they have the answers. That's and. If I, I don't want a coach that doesn't think they have the answer. Like, you have to be confident in what you're doing.
2: 100%. And to coach at this level, and especially to be a head coach at Notre Dame, there's a subtle confidence, but, like, also, you need to be competitive, man. Like, you're playing against some of these great teams each and every week. You have this stigma around your program that they're irrelevant and they're this and they're that, and there's just all all this outside noise. You have to be a competitive person. So it's, it's understandable if Marcus Freeman at some points is like, That I think that could be better, right? Like I've done this. I think that could be better. And it's about how do those, how do those minds mesh in that regard? And those, those, I don't call it attitude, but like their, their emotions, how do those things mesh when one's kind of pushing back a little bit and other one has to either listen or just completely defer to what they know. I think there has to be a collaborative effort on the defensive side of the football, even though it is going to be Al Golden's show by all, all,
1: you know, by every, every account that we've heard at this point. Absolutely. So yeah, I I would say cautiously optimistic, but it's still a question and we're going to, we'll get our answer eventually. Again, I don't think it'll happen in week one. Hope it does. That'd be fantastic. But uh, we'll get our, we'll get our question. And I think it's going to work out very, very well, even if it's going to be a different, still successful, but different. And from an overall success, that's kind of the next point that we want to make about this defense and look championship level defenses, championship level teams have a good run defense. And some of the people in the chat have brought that up and I'll pull up one of the, uh, one of the things here from our buddy Archer for Ohio state fan. He says, key questions for me Uh, golden plus new staff, other, Oh yeah. Other two secondary starters. How much can the run D improve and how quickly Completely legit question from somebody on the outside looking in at Notre Dame. And I appreciate that perspective, Archer, because you're 100% correct. If you look at some of the rankings of of past champions, right? Georgia ranked number two in run defense. Bama ranked fourth in defense. Notre Dame ranked 37th in run defense. Even LSU in 2019, when they were airing the ball out all over the place, ranked 21st. In run defense, Notre Dame ranked 59th that year in 2019 in run defense. So the overall run defense absolutely has to get better or else, you know, they're not going to be a championship level team, let alone a championship level defense.
2: Agree completely. And Archer, thank you so much for the comment. As an Ohio State fan yourself, you know about bad run defenses. I'm just <laughs> kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, no, but, <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm sorry. Just a subtle push because Archer one of the one of my favorites in the chat. But no doubt, I, I think that one thing we've talked a lot about, Vince, is there are some defensive tackles that are a little bit undersized. Sure. There are linebackers that have lacked the length to play on the second level and make consistent tackles from a range perspective of the tackling radius. Right. And I think that you're seeing that those things should be, uh, those things should be settled at least on the second level pretty soon here. I mean, if Maris Loyfal is what we think he is, then length length and athleticism on the second level is never going to be a concern with a guy like a Maris And I think that he helps in that regard, but I think uh, honestly, it's just, it needs to be better from a technical perspective, right? Like the angles and the ability to wrap on ball carriers and to not miss tackles. Like that's my biggest thing is that yeah. I felt like there were just too many missed tackles during the duration of the season. And They're they, in the right spot. they just weren't making the plays. Right. Yeah. And even, even some of your guys that you're considered more of your short tacklers were missing tackles at points. Right. And it happens occasionally. No one's going to miss. No one's ever going to make a hundred percent of their tackles but it needs to be better than it was for them to really compete at these, the highest of levels. Right. And I think that a lot of that is there's a temperament to playing defense. There's a consistency as far as gap integrity and being able to rally to the football and taking proper angles of pursuits, all those things really matter. So there was a question yesterday on the show about the, just the technical perspective of the defense, right? Like how much is that going to improve? And I think that needs to be the emphasis, right. From the, defensive backs to the linebackers to the defensive linemen you're in a position where you can never be perfect right like things can always be better from a technical perspective so I think just the the fundamentals are the biggest thing for me that I think need to consistently be improved because that's how you miss tackles it's not always a guy runs you over he's more physically dominating than you he's faster than you those are the cases sometimes for sure but more often than not, it's that you're just taking a bad angle. You're attacking the wrong hip. You have your head, you know, you, you have bad body posture as sure. a tackler. Like those technical things will help you so much in the run game. And for right. them to be a really good team, they need to take make some of these offenses one-dimensional. The worst thing that you can do against an offense is allow them to just be able to kind of – to to work the pace in their favor and to, you know, really do whatever they want. Right. Cause if you're able to run the football, then play action games opens up, right. Oh, yeah. You're loading the box and now you have numbers outside. You need to keep those numbers in your favor. And the way you do that is to consistently tackle the, uh, tackle the ball carrier and not allow big gains. Like that is the consistency that I think that Notre Dame needs to get better at. Right. It's been good in spurts, but last year, especially, it was a good defense last year, but The run defense wasn't great. It was a solid run defense. It was not nearly an elite defense in that regard. And I think it needs to be to beat the better teams on the schedule and hopefully the better teams that you're going to be facing if they make a playoff run again.
1: Absolutely. And, I mean, I I know he's not part of the show by uh, talking, but this is a really good point, and I want to bring it up. Brian says Notre Dame was more disruptive last year than it has been in previous years, just gave up too many big runs, because of assignment and tech or technique mistakes. And that's hundred percent accurate guys were either over pursuing or they weren't making the play when they were in position to make the play. And that led to big plays. And when you do that, you're not going to be ranked with the top of the country in run defense. You're just not. And I think that Notre Dame has good, had good players last year. They had good solid players, right? I mean, JD Bertrand led the team in tackling. He wasn't even supposed to be a starter last year. Right? I mean, I mean, and and I think that, uh, you know, Jack Kaiser did a good job. He, he's not Jeremiah Wusukoromo, and anybody that expect him to be that is fooling themselves. He's going to play that position differently than JOK did. But I thought sure. he played well, but he needs to take another step, right? Absolutely. And moving, moving J.D. inside and bringing in Marist, well, you just got a ton better across the board just because you bring in Marist and you've slid – J.D. over where I think it's a more natural fit for him in the middle than it was on the outside. So I think that's a big thing. So I think they have they have taken the, the linebacking crew, and I think the linebackers have gotten better. And I think that's going to be a big key to the run defense. Not only have they gotten better, but I think they're also deeper. The depth at linebacker, and that's going to be one of the challenges, in my opinion, another question mark that I have since we're talking about run defense. We just got done talking about Al Golden. What, how is he going to use these linebackers? Because he's got a yeah. ton of talent in that room. I mean, a ton of talent. What's the sub packages going to look like? How? how who's going to get, you know, is it going to be a 50-50 split? Is it going to be 80-20? You know, what does that look like? Who's going to get time? All of those different things. I think that's a real question mark and frankly one that I'm excited to see the answer to because there's so much talent in that room. You don't have to keep, the same three guys on the field the entire game because you have so much depth and there's not really a drop-off from one to two. Or if there is a drop-off, it's not very much, right? So I think just the the maturation process of the linebackers and then the shifting and moving guys around, having Maris be healthy, I think that those are massive improvements, and I think yep. that is going to make the run defense that much better.
2: You know, Vince, and one thing that that Brian said that I completely agree with is that this was a disruptive defense last year because one thing that was a huge philosophical shift, and I'm going to get to the linebackers, but like a huge philosophical shift is this is a one-gapping penetration-style defense, right? Like They are trying to create a lot of penetration Mm -hmm. in the backfield and a lot of havoc, and with that you're taking a little bit chances sometimes, right? Like you still want gap integrity and you still want to be fundamentally sound. But when you are that aggressive style defense, you are taking some chances. It's absolutely, you absolutely are. And I think that the biggest thing for me is that I think you had last year, the defensive lineman to take advantage of taking those chances because a guy like Isaiah Foskey, for instance, right? We talk about him all the time with the length that he has, right? If Isaiah Foskey takes a bad angle, he can still make a play because he's so long sure. and athletic, right? Jace Adam alola has got pretty good length for his position. If he's not in the perfect spot, he can still make a play. Yeah, those guys are. I mean, Howard Cross is a good athlete. Jacob Lacy is a good athlete. Justin Adam Malola is a good athlete. Like they have good athletes and or length everywhere across the line. So that makes the margin for error a little bit higher. Like those guys can make plays sometimes even when they're not in the best position. Linebacker was different last year to your points. Yeah. JD Bertrand, good football player. Sure. I think he's going to be a really good Mike linebacker for this team now that Marisolito is coming in. Not the longest guy of all time. Right. Right. I mean, he's got shorter arms. He's right around six foot and a half, whatever he is. He's not a huge guy as far as the height and length aspect of the position. Good athlete functionally. Drew White was the exact same. I'm pretty sure I remember Drew White had sub 30 inch arms. Like he's not a long guy at right. all. Good athlete, but not an incredibly long guy. Jack Kaiser, same deal. Like, not an incredibly long guy. Good athlete, but not an incredibly long dude. So those guys naturally have a smaller margin for error. If they're not in the right spot, they're going to miss more tackles. Correct. Because they're you know they're just not going to be in the proper position. I like J.D. moving to Mike because I think that increases his margin for error. He's going to play in less space, which is good for him. Yes. He's a physical kid, gets downhill. I think it's going to be fantastic. Maris Leifau, that kid has range, he has length, and he has explosiveness. There is not many plays that he's not going to be able to get to from pursuit. Now, he needs to be a technically sound football player in the way he approaches the game, Absolutely. the angles he takes, but he has the athleticism and the length to make a lot of plays that he <laughs> probably shouldn't make. Right. And then Jack Kaiser, a year in the weight room, a year getting bigger, a year you know just playing the position and getting more natural at it, you're going to hope that he's able to kind of take a next step up. Because I agree, he was a solid to good football player last year. But he still has a higher ceiling to get there, right? Because he's a better athlete than I think he plays like Agreed. sometimes. Agreed. And then after that, I mean, you got Prince Kali, length, athleticism. You got you got a guy like a junior Toya Lamaka, length, and has some athleticism. You got guys like Jalen Sneed working at Rover, who's got length and athleticism. There's a lot more length and athleticism on this second level, and the one guy that is was your best linebacker last year that was does not have the length or athleticism, you're moving to a position that is better suited for a guy that doesn't have right. as much length. Exactly. Right? So I think the biggest difference between this team last year and this team this year is that the second level is going to make a lot more plays on the football, and I right. think there's going to be less missed tackles just because I think you increase the margin for error on the second level.
1: I completely agree. And and Chris uh, Davison has a great comment here about J.D. So J.D. Bertrand had me as an emotional roller coaster. He always put himself in a position to make a play. And while he made a lot of them, he missed the important ones. He is so close to being a game wrecker. And to your point, that's a really good point, Chris. And to, to Ryan's point, being in the middle now, I think he makes more of those plays because he's got less space to operate in which is good for him. He's smart. He is always around the football, just needs to make those plays. And I think moving inside, it fits him better. He's going to make those plays now because he's got other guys around him too. They're going to be making plays on the outside. I think what one of the issues, and I don't want to get two X's and O's in here, but like one of the issues that Notre Dame had at times was setting the edge. They, they were coming down and they wouldn't break down and they wouldn't set the edge properly. And then that would be a big play. And, yeah. That is a product of playing with your hair on fire, right? And going and a hundred miles an hour and not breaking down, right? That that's what that is. And you can see where that could be a problem this year. But as you said, when you're longer and more athletic, you can make some of those plays when you're a little bit out of position. And I think that is going to be more of a case this year than it was last year. Guys are going to, be screaming into the backfield but they got to make those plays in the backfield they didn't make a lot of those plays or they didn't make some of those plays and they were amplified by the fact that they were in big situations they were in the uh the fiesta bowl for example it was a couple times where they had the quarterback dead to rights and he was able to get out of it and scramble for a big play those were game-changing moments no doubt about it and so i just feel like the way that the second level is set up now the first level, I'm not even worried about. People are talking about undersized defensive linemen.
2: Well, the, th- the thing as about, worried about them. Yeah. The thing about that, Vince, is I always talk to Brian about like overcompensating traits. Right. And because like they're not wrong. I mean, Jacob Lacey is a smaller defensive defense. Sure, absolutely. is a smaller defense tackle, but they're both really good athletes. Right? right. So like that can make up for some of that lack of length or at, uh, or size. Right. Like you need one or the other. If you have both, then you're Isaiah Foskey. Right. right. Like, then you have everything in the world. And I also think, to your point, I'm especially not worried about the defensive line because I think it even got longer and more athletic than it was last year, right? Because you returned your two best defensive linemen, Isaiah Foskey's back, Jason Adam Alola's back in the middle. You also have, although Kurt Heinisch was a good football player for Notre Dame, I would argue that both Howard Cross and Jacob Lacey are more athletically gifted players as far as tangibly on the field, right? Like functional athleticism. And then Myron tongovaloa Mosa was a really good football player for Notre Dame. But the fact of the matter is that you replaced Myron, who was 6'2 1⁄2", 33-inch arms, solid all across the board from a sure. length perspective. Now you're changing him with a 6'5", 285-pound Riley Mills, who has length for days, oh right? Oh, my so gosh, yes. You even got longer and more athletic on defensive line, which was already a strength for you, in my opinion. That's not even counting guys like Justin Adamalolo, who has solid length for the position. Er- Alexander Ahrensberger, who's an incredibly long player, Nana Osafa-Mence has got solid length. He's got as much length as at least Myron Tungvaloa-Moset did last year, right? So, yeah, I think that the defensive line even got more impressive in those yeah. regards, but they didn't have to really. Like, it was a really good defensive line last year. The fact that that may have even upgraded and the fact that I think the second level is going to be a whole lot better, right. I have a lot of optimism that this team is not going to miss nearly as many tackles, and they're also going to make some tackles that they just could not do last year.
1: Right, absolutely agree with you. I the the depth of defensive line is so solid, and they're going to be able to move guys around. That that's the other thing that I think people are forgetting. Yeah, Cross and Lacey are first of all they're not going to be on the field at the same time, so that that's one thing, right? They're gonna it's going to be one guy at a time, I would imagine, because Jason's going to be playing the other position, and so the way that they're going to move guys around, and they're going to bump guys down, and they're going to do some different things. I'm just not that worried about those guys being a little bit undersized. You know what I mean? That that, that doesn't – it's low on the list of my worries, let's put it that way, because of the way the linebackers I expect to play and because of the depth of defensive line and moving guys around, taking a guy from a big end position, putting him at defensive tackle and bringing in somebody else. You know, I, That's how I feel like they're going to do it to minimize the lack of size on the inside. Now, will they be playing? Yeah, they're going to play. But I don't think it's going to be a huge problem.
2: I agree. And and someone even just said, I think it was David Knight that said that Jason Onye is another guy inside who if either Jason Onye and, or Gabriel Rubio break out this year as a right. no, as nose tackle or both of them, then now we're talking about two guys that are 6'5 with good length and 290 right. plus pounds. So right. there's even more upside to this defensive line, which is just pretty crazy when you really yeah, think about
1: it. I know because the the depth at defensive line has been kind of the saving grace for Notre Dame over the past few years with Mike sure. Elston as defensive line coach, right? That hasn't changed. I mean, they have a ton of depth, but I think that depth has gotten more athletic. I think that's the difference about the depth. I think they're more athletic now. So that that in and of itself, you don't necessarily need a 350 pound, you know, clogger of space. That's not. I don't feel like that's how Notre Dame is going to play their defense anyway, because that's a different style of defense. You know what I mean? They don't necessarily need that if they had that guy who is like super athletic and was demanding triple teams and everything else okay i get it but i just that's not really who they're going after either on the recruiting trail that's what i meant like that's that's not really who. i mean you can correct me if i'm wrong but i don't feel like they're going after that massive you know block out the sun kind of guy these days
2: no they're 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 going more towards the i mean they value length right but like you know, we think of like a Devin Houston that's committed to Notre Dame. That's like six, four and a half and 275 pounds right now. Like that's okay. more, they want those one gapping type of defensive tackles. Like a, a Jordan Davis would be great to have a Notre Dame. I'm not going to say like he wouldn't, but like, that's right. not what they're targeting. Like that mm-hmm. style that, that, you know, to your point, like they don't care as much about the true nose that is going to take up two gaps. And like, that's not their system. They're not a two gapping system. They want okay. a guy that can split a gap and can make a make create havoc in the backfield exactly. and now you have linebackers that can also in theory clean up any
1: mess that happens absolutely yep that's a really good way of putting it that was good uh good way to bow that one up tie it up very well okay. done sir so the next point that we want to make about the questions in and the in and, and situation and somebody brought it up in the that's why we have such good people in the chat. Uh Kyle Barry, and I'll, I'll bring it up, I've Got to give credit where credit is due. Kyle Barry says, good points. Very excited to see the front seven, as are we. Much bigger concerns about the secondary starters and depth. That is a fair statement, Kyle. We are right there with you because the next thing we were going to talk about is the cornerback and safety position opposite the standouts. Look, we know Brandon Joseph is going to be an all-American caliber safety. I know that Cam Hart is going to be an All-America uh, style uh, or caliber corner. But what happens on the other side? That is a question mark, a question that we still need answers to. Because I think depending on the day we're talking about it, Ryan, You know, there's a different answer for who's going to start at the other safety. And while I think it's a little bit more clear as to who's going to start at the other corner, the question mark for me is, what does the depth look like at that corner that pushes that starter? Because that is the biggest key for me. If Clarence Lewis wins that corner job, and I think he's in the pole position to win it at the sure. moment, we haven't seen fall camp yet. I think he's in the in the pole position. But are the guys behind in the Jaden Mickeys of the world, the the Barneses of the world, you know, et cetera, are they pushing him to hold on to that job and playing better than those guys? in order to keep that job? I think that's the bigger question for me at corner. So what are your thoughts on the corner and the safety positions opposite Joseph and Hart?
2: Yeah, I mean, starting with corner, me and Brian talked about this last week, Vince. We were talking about some of the, the key position battles, obviously, on the defensive side of the football. And I mean, I think cornerback opposite of Cam Hart's, maybe the pious, right? Like that that yeah. position is something that we need to figure out and every needs to figure out. And I think the biggest thing for me, is if Clarence Lewis does win the job and is the, you know, back to back to back three years now of a valuable contributor to this defense, it needs to be because he was the best of very good room or of a good room. Guys that sure. I need, I need the Ryan Barnes of the world, the Philip Riley's, the J, the Jayden Mickey's. Like I need those guys to push a, a, a Clarence Lewis and Clarence right. Lewis to also push back and say, not yet. This is still me, right? right? And exactly. if that happens, then I feel great about it because then you create depth. You have your guy that took a step forward and you're in a good spot. If Ryan Barnes takes a big enough leap and Clarence Lewis maybe takes a small leap, but Claren- Ryan Lewis just clears him, then that'll be okay too because either way you pushed one to being, you know, to the point of this is a battle, right? Absolutely. I do not want this to be a situation though where Clarence Lewis wins that starting spot because he is just the he's the most experienced player and nobody took a step forward. If right. that happens, that's a problem. A, it's a yeah, it's absolutely. And you're going to
1: see it real quickly against Ohio State. You're going to see that problem manifest itself really fast. And 100%. If we're getting word that well, he's there because that's, you know, process of elimination, that's who we got, that's good and, and that's the words that we're hearing out of camp, like, well, nobody's really stepped up, so he's the returning starter. He's going to get it. That I I will be changing my tune really fast as to how Notre Dame plays against Ohio state. A hundred percent. I mean, cause you it's, it's going to be
2: no easy breaks against Ohio state, right? It's like you either have to cover Jackson Smith and Jigba, or you have to cover Marvin Harrison jr. Or you have to cover a Mecca or you have to cover Julian Fleming. Like it doesn't matter. They got dudes everywhere. So every position in the secondary is ultra important, especially the outside corner spots. Like you need that position to take a step forward. And and that was not even any points at Clarence Lewis. Like, I don't want any of these corners to win AIDS job by default, right? Exactly. Like, I want them to win because nice. they were the best possible corner. Because, like, let's say, hypothetically, Clarence Lewis takes a step forward, but Ryan Barnes takes a gigantic leap forward, and he vaults him for the starting spot. Then, at least in my opinion, now Clarence Lewis can play football any anywhere I want to play him, right? Like, he could play nickel, I think. I think he, you know he can play outside, so now I can use him. I create a depth in that situation. Right. And I think that, I mean, we're going to see it right out of the gate to your point, right? Ohio State is not going to look at this team and say, like, oh, wow, you know, th- their corners aren't good or the one corner maybe isn't playing well, and I'm not, but I'm not going to attack them for some reason, yeah. right? Like, you're going to take advantage of where your Absolutely. advantages are, obviously. So Absolutely. If, they're not playing, if they're not playing good football in the secondary, We'll know about it very early on in the season. Now, there's always exponential growth, right? Like by the end of the season, I'm sure it'll be a whole lot better. But it's very important. The biggest game of the year that we know of right now is game one. Like that is the most important game. Literally in a hypothetical situation and in real life, this is the most important game for Notre Dame. The best opponent that is on the schedule right now as we see it and the first game of the season, the next game, right? So in every layer... Ohio State is a big measuring point, and it is a big opportunity for Notre Dame. And the quarterback spot, I think, is going to kind of be a big tell of this game. If you come out of the game and you're like, Cam Hart handled business, and the other cornerback spot played well or at least didn't hurt us, then I think you feel good about where you were as a team. And then you have also the quarterback spot that I just spent a lot of time on, but then the other safety spot is one that, I mean – Brandon Joseph, I expect to be a star. We both saw him in spring, and I think that we were both very impressed by the caliber of athlete he is, the the communicator he is, and just the ball skills he has. He has a propensity to just be around the football at all times. So he's going to make his plays, as he always does. My biggest question mark is, I went into spring like, wow, Ramon Henderson, Xavier Watts, whoever wins the starting spot – I'm good, man. And then you have depth with Houston Griffith and DJ Brown and Justin Walters. And like, that's dope, man. That's a whole lot of talent in one safety position, but you left the spring and let's be very honest about it. That Ramon Henderson did not take the leap forward. Xavier Watts had moments, but he was at times, like you just didn't see him do much, right? Like there was just some visible absence for whatever reason. So now you're in a spot where, Who is the other safety? There's going to be a lot, a lot, a lot of competition for that other spot. Yeah, Because let's be honest about this. Brandon Joseph makes it a whole lot easier on that safety next to him. He does. So a lot of – you're going to want that spot, obviously. I think there's going to be a rotation. But either way, you need a couple of these guys to step to the forefront because that position is very up in arms right now. You can can tell me right now that Ramon Henderson goes to the spring – and he run, I mean, into the fall, excuse me, and he runs away with it. I'd be like, I would believe you. yeah. If you, okay. told, me the same, if you said, told me the same thing about Xavier Watts, I would believe you. If okay. you told me both of them did not take a step forward and it's DJ Brown or Houston Griffith, I would also believe you. Like this thing could go <laughs> in so many different directions. But again, I don't want one of the veterans to win this by default. If right. DJ Brown, for instance, or Houston Griffith or whoever wins this or Justin Walters wins this starting spot, I need it to be because they are playing great football. Yes, That needs to be the end-all, be-all for this conversation. So question marks in the secondary, plenty of talents. It's just about can you get them up to par to be able to go toe-to-toe with the best wide receiver core in college football on September
1: 3rd. Absolutely. And that's, look, we've talked about this in the past before too, Brian and I. When you're an offensive coordinator, you're looking at the defensive tape You're picking out, okay, who's the guy we want to pick on? Like, where's the weak link? Well, it's not going to be Cam Hart. So it's going to be whoever's playing opposite Cam Hart, uh, you know, from the cornerback position, and it's going to be whoever's playing opposite Brandon Joseph. So those guys are going to get tested early, and they're going to get tested often in game one. We're going to find out really fast if they're up to the task. And, you know, I kind of anticipate at least one big play being made, to be honest with you. One big play is not going to lose you the game, but I, I anticipate that they're going to go after those guys. And the percentages of the more you go after those guys, the chances of you connecting on one is it gets greater, right? So it's going to be interesting where they're going to get tested. Those are huge question marks right now. And at the yeah. safety position, you, I think you rattled off five or six guys opposite mm-hmm. Brendan Joseph. They're only going to rotate four total. Sure. So they're, they're battling for a two deep spot, really all those guys. And it's going to be interesting to see who the odd man out is. If, if Xavier Watts is the odd man out, does he stay on defense? You know, does he, does he go back to offense? You know, I think maybe that ship has sailed, but I think those questions are legit. Does he stick mm-hmm. around Notre Dame? Um, and you can add player here. You know what I mean? In that blank, like whoever is on the outside looking in of that too deep, how much longer are they going to stick around? You know, because I think there is talent there, but somebody is going to be out there. Somebody's going to be on the outside. So um, it's going to be very, very interesting to see how the safety spot lands and how the corner spot lands. There's no question. It's it's a legit question moving into fall camp to see how things go. One thing we get to see on Friday mm-hmm. during the full practice. is, Yes, it's just helmets, but you're going you to be able to be there, to,
2: Vince. Are oh, you be yeah. There?
1: oh yeah. Oh yeah. Nice. Oh yeah. Cannot wait. Cannot wait. But the one thing we're going to be able to see, you're not going to see any hitting, you're not going to see anything like that, but you're going to see one-on-ones. You're going to see probably some seven-on-seven type stuff. So you're going to see what the depth chart looks like going into the fall on the defensive backfield. That's going to be interesting. Okay. How are they starting coming out of the summer? And then where do they progress from there? So I I have a feeling we're going to have a lot to report when it comes to the defensive secondary on Friday. Sure. You know? Well,
2: it – and one layer too, Vince, that I forgot to mention from the cornerback position, yeah, especially yeah. is that if this is a philosophical approach that Marcus Freeman has typically gone through through the eyes of Al Golden, that's what I'm gonna kind of phrase it as sure. Notre Dame's gonna play a lot of man coverage. Do I think it's gonna yeah. be exclusively? No. But when he was at Cincinnati, he made his living off of playing man coverage and being aggressive up front. So sure. Notre Dame is going to have spurts where they're going to have to play man coverage, single high, two high, whatever against Ohio state. So it's a very important position. And I, I, I love it, man. I I think that there's a big, there's a big, there's a big opportunity that's in front of these Notre Dame defensive backs. And I am looking forward to seeing the growth that they have in the fall because the talent is not the issue. It's just about putting it all together. Right.
1: Absolutely. So that's going to be a fun one to figure out because I think there is talent there at both spots and it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to, that one is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. So the last point that we want to make is actually something that we did talk about a little bit earlier when we were talking about the linebackers, but it is, can Notre Dame finish better? So tackling in space, finishing off co- uh, quarterbacks and running backs, you know, behind the line of scrimmage, more turnovers, being more disruptive, you know, that kind of, some of those intangibles, right. Being in the right place at the right time, but then completing that play that they didn't complete against Oklahoma state, for example. Right. So do we think that Notre Dame is going to be able to do that? Or do we think they're not going to be able to do that, but either way, that's a question mark going into the fall. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, this is, this is something for me, Vince, where, Everything is, I mean, there's a lot of question marks when you're just kind of looking at the fact that, like, I, I, think that, I think that one thing, you know, from a spring practice of fall is that you tangibly always want to see the steps forward from a positional perspective, from a competition perspective, from a technical right. perspective. We have to remember that we're talking about new coaches that just came in here that's are completely new to the program and are trying to get their imprint on their position group. Sure. Right? So like the spring is like time where like you shouldn't expect things to be perfect. You know, it, it's that time where this is a test period for certain Absolutely. players and certain, certain drills and certain techniques and all that good stuff. So I think that we're going to see, we're going to get a lot of answers in the fall and we're going to see, I mean, you're going to see a little glimpse of it on Friday. You're not going to see a ton, but the, the fact right. that you're just, I just want to see exponential growth between what does it look like in the spring? What does mm-hmm. it look like in the fall? So I can kind of predict what it's ultimately going to look like.
1: Yes, absolutely. And that's it's a legitimate question because I think if you boil everything down last season on the defense, you boil it all down, I think the missing link, so to speak, from them being a really good defense to being elite defense was finishing off those plays was finishing off those plays behind the line of scrimmage, was getting the key turnover, You know things of that nature. They were really good defense last year. They were not elite. If they want to be elite, they have to make those different things happen. And I think from everything that we just talked about for the last hour, if they can do all of those things, if those questions get answered in a positive manner, I think the result of all of those questions in a positive way leads to them finishing plays and being more explosive and getting those turnovers and all of that. I, I think that'll be a product of all of those other things happening because yeah. the way that they, the philosophy of this defense is disruption and it's making mm-hmm. place in the backfield and all of that. So if, if they're, you know, gap sound and their integrity is good and all of those different things, then the rest of it will fall into place. The rest of it comes with the territory. So sure. it's one of the things I love about this defense. You have to be disciplined but you get to play, man. You get to play and use your athleticism to your advantage, and I think that's exactly what this team is going to do.
2: Yeah, I mean, and for I mean, to make plays, man, mm-hmm. you need two things: you need to be an athlete and you need to yep. have good technique, right? And I don't think the athleticism is any question on this team. Like no. I was talking to Brian about this yesterday, Vince. This defense is going to be one of the fastest ones I've ever seen at Notre Dame. I yeah. mean, if we're being honest, great. Foskey can run. Defensive lineman we've already talked about can run. Maris Leifel can run. J.D. Bertrand yep. at Mike can run. Jack yes. Kaiser can run. Cam Hart can run. Brandon Joseph can run. All these guys can run. It's all about now making it perfect from a technical perspective. If you can, Notre Dame has the potential, in my opinion, to be a top five defense in college football. Like Absolutely. I think, it's, I, I think the talent is there. I really yes. do. It's just all about now perfecting – athleticism to practical approach and I think I think that we can see it this year
1: yeah absolutely absolutely so that's going to conclude our talk about the defense and the the questions that need to be answered going into fall camp we are going to uh well first I I will uh don't go anywhere because we are going to stick around so don't go anywhere but Uh, For those of you that are listening on the podcast, make sure you hit that like, subscribe, hit the the notification bell, all that fun stuff. Uh, And we will have another fun topic tomorrow, but that is going to do it for this topic.